Hey, this podcast is not kid-friendly. So if you don't want your kid to hear about sex and the word shit and all that other stuff, you should probably get them out of the room right now. Everybody has a secret. This is Beyond the Secret, an anonymous podcast where I uncover the truth behind people's deepest secrets. My name is Ace Fanning, and I want to know... What's your secret? Welcome back to another week of Beyond the Secret. Okay, so before I start this episode, I have a few disclaimers that I want to put out there. The first one is that I really did not want to split this interview, in particular, into two different parts. But when I went to go edit the episode, I realized that we had talked for almost two hours. And I could just put out a two-hour episode, but I'm like, people, like, I worry that people won't finish it. Sometimes if the interview is too long, you know, you might start it in your car, and then you'll forget about it, and you might never go back, or you won't remember where you're at in the story. So I had to break it down. I promise you, there's not a cliffhanger. It's not like when I did I'm Sleeping With My Best Friend's Husband. It was like the world's best cliffhanger. It's not that. It's just, I had to split it. Um... There's just, there's so many things that I feel like I want people to hear and so much that she had to say. And I'm just like, I don't want to cut any of it out. So yes, there are two different parts to this episode. The next thing is (laughs) I cry a lot in this episode and I even referenced to it. Well, I don't think I cut this part out, but I referenced to the fact that I'm very, I've been very emotional And I was going back and I was trying to think, like, why was I so emotional during this time? And I remember that this was right around the time that my in-laws had to put their dog down. And it was a whole thing. And I was just, I don't know, I'm not good with emotions. And I think I was just emotionally overwhelmed at that time. And so I apologize for all of my crying. (laughs) Also, I think that I'm was sick during this time because I sound super nasally and maybe it's just the crying, but I apologize for that as well. Okay. So the next thing that I want to put out there is that this is not the gypsy Rose story. A few weeks back, I had asked people in the private Facebook group. I said, Hey, everyone needs to watch the act on Hulu. And that's a story of, Gypsy Rose and her mom, Dee Dee, who had Munchausen by proxy, like, to the next level. And I want you all, I wanted everyone to watch that because it's an insane story. But the problem with Gypsy Rose's story is it's this, like, extreme outlier. And when we have something that is so extreme like that, it causes us to almost not be able to connect with it. We, I, like when, when I hear a crazy story, even though it's real, like I'm not saying the gypsy story is not real, but even though it's real, we almost view it more as characters in a movie. And so, you know, when we see certain scenes or, you know, we see her getting all of her teeth pulled out of her mouth, we have a hard it's almost like, oh, yeah. Actually, when I watched it, I was kind of like, I wonder how they made it look like she didn't have any teeth. Like, that's what my brain is on. Not the fact that, like, hey, 
this is a real person who had all of their teeth removed. And so this is not that story. This is a, a very sad story, but it's also very relatable. We can all relate to the woman in this story in the sense that, you know, she she lived in a normal home. She went to normal school. She had friends. She did things that kids her age would do. And, you know, if, if we can't relate, like I cannot relate to Gypsy Rose, then I feel like we aren't as impacted. And the reason that I want you to be impacted is because maybe there's something or someone in your life who's kind of on your mind when you hear about Munchausen and, you know, maybe you have a suspicion that this could be happening to somebody else. And if you don't have a connection to a story that you feel like you can relate to, then you might be missing some things, you know, cause if we if we think of Gypsy Rose as the face of Munchausen syndrome, then it's like, yeah, no, I don't know anyone who's doing that. I don't, oh my God, I can't believe it's this crazy. And we kind of become desensitized to it, but I don't want that. And this story is very real. And we can all imagine ourselves as this girl. And therefore, I feel like you can be impacted by her story. And this is the most annoying thing about Munchausen, especially Munchausen syndrome by proxy, is that it becomes really, really hard to speak up and step in. And this is how they protect themselves. Because if you think about someone who's close to you that you might know who has a sick child, and or if you try to imagine your your own child getting sick, the last thing that you would ever want to hear from somebody is, are you sure? Are you sure they're sick? It's like, fuck you. My child is sick and I don't need you to question that. I don't need you to question me as a parent. And so it's really easy for them to fly under the radar because none of us want to step in and say anything in a situation like that. So... The whole thing is just so frustrating and gets me really emotional, hence all the crying that I do in the interview. Um, okay, the other thing or the other disclaimer that I want to put out there, because I get a lot of messages from people who, you know, they say like, Ace, you're such a therapist. You help so many people. I'm like, first of all, I am not a therapist and I am not any sort of mental health professional. And I think that's really important that people hear that. I have no training in this whatsoever. And especially in this interview, it's it actually happens in part two, but I'm just going to put the disclaimer out there now. I, When I talk to these people who are interview, I talk to them like I would talk to my friends. And I have this, I have a, a way about me where I just give my opinion. You know, I speak freely around people. I feel comfortable to just say how I feel. And in this, in part two, and you'll know when you get to the part, maybe I'll put something extra in there so you don't miss it, but I kind of interject my opinion and 
I don't feel like I offend her, but I feel like I hurt her feelings. And I don't ever want to hurt anybody's feelings. I just want, I want to help people and I want to, you know, make her realize that what happened to her is not okay. But, so yeah, don't tell me I'm a therapist. I'm, I'm a human being and this is just a conversation that I'm having with someone and maybe I stick my foot in my mouth and I don't apologize for sharing my opinions, but I never ever want to hurt anybody. (laughs) And honestly, she's probably listening to this right now being like, what are you even talking about? But I stressed about it for so long afterwards. Um, I just, you know, I react the way that I would with all of my friends. Um, Okay, so finally, my last disclosure. I sat on this interview for a few weeks, and, you know, I was kind of like, okay, do I put it up now, or do I skip it? And I think I kept pushing it back because I didn't know whether or not I was going to share this interview. Not because, like, this story is from a podcast person's perspective. I think this is a great story. As a human being, I have a little bit of a hard time sharing this episode because she is so raw and open and just, you know, she, I could tell she really trusted me. And there's this part of me that's like, you know, you're going to hear her crying in the interview. And I'm like, I have such a hard time being like, you know, getting someone to open up to me like this and then being like, Hey, check out my podcast. Make sure to leave a review. Thanks. Bye. It's like, Oh my God. Like I, I'm not, I was like, are you, I like had this internal conversation with myself. Like, are you exploiting people? And I'm like, am I, I, that has never, ever, ever, ever been my intention. All I've ever wanted to do was help people. And I feel like, you know, if someone trusts me enough to open up like she did, and even though, you know, she knew it was for a podcast, I was just like, is this okay? And so I sat on that question for a really long time and I wrestled with it. And I just had to remind myself that this is a story that can, number one, it can help other people. But number two, there is so much that can be said about, you know, taking control of your secret. And that is the entire point of this podcast is I want people to be in control of their own narrative. And, you know, in a situation like this, so much of what happened to her was out of her control. And this is her opportunity to come back and say, hey, this is me. This is my story. I'm not going to let anyone else tell it. And she gets to share it with the world. Well, not the world, but the people who listen to my podcast. And, you know, so I've come to the decision that obviously, no, I've never intentionally tried to exploit people, but unintentionally, I am not exploiting people. I am trying to help people And so obviously now you're listening to the interview and you know that I decided to put it up. 
But I do want you to know that I did, I struggled for a long time with that. It just feels, it feels very intrusive. And I know that I'm like an intrusive personality. Like I just ask people stuff all the time and everyone's like, I love that you can do that. And it wasn't during the interview that I had a hard time, but it was going back and listening to it that I was just like, I don't, I don't want this to be exploiting. I just want this to be helpful. So, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about Munchausen, um, which when I Googled it, and I had no idea that it is no longer referred to as Munchausen syndrome. It is now referred to as factitious disorder imposed on self, which I don't know if I said that first word right, but it's okay. The definition says, factitious disorder imposed on self Formerly, Munchausen syndrome is a type of mental illness in which a person repeatedly acts as if he or she has a physical or mental disorder when in truth, he or she has caused the symptoms. Munchausen syndrome is a mental illness associated with severe emotional difficulties. So that, you know, that is when someone is making themselves sick or whatever. And Munchausen syndrome by proxy is when you do that same thing, but you impose the illness onto somebody else. In this case, it was her daughter's. Uh, in Dee Dee's case, it was Gypsy. And it's so crazy to me because it's it's totally this sense of like, it's this attention-seeking behavior, but it's also this weird like, I need to be needed. But I'm just like, I don't want to be needed by someone who doesn't actually need me. Like, when, I'm, when I get to be a dad, I am going to be so excited when my kid is like, oh my God, there's, there's a monster on my bed. I need you to scare it. And I will go along with that. And I will scare that monster and I will get that monster out from underneath the bed. But eventually my kid is going to realize that there is not a monster under the bed. And I'm not going to then, you know, that would be like me planting things, which actually I could see myself doing, <laughs> planting things in my child's room to make them think that there is a monster under their bed. Like scaring the shit out of my kid just so that they need me. I don't want that. Yes, I'm going to soak up the moment that they do need me for that, but I don't want to scare my kid into needing me if that makes sense. And that's what's so crazy about this is it's like they know they are they know that they are not needed. But they make themselves needed. And so I'm like how does it even fulfill you? Munchausen syndrome is whatever. If you want to fake that you're sick so that you can get attention from people, whatever. I don't really care. Um I don't like it when, you know, they ask people for money and stuff like that, because then they do start to hurt other people. But if you want to pretend you're sick, that's fine. But it's the by proxy part that just kills me. Because in most cases, it's somebody who can't speak up for themselves. Um, you know, usually it's children, or it could be like an elderly person who 
needs a caretaker or someone with special needs who, you know, can't speak up for themselves. It's it's so sick. It's like preying on the weak and keeping them weak for as long as you possibly can. Um, so that's Munchausen by proxy. If In case you're listening to this and you had no idea what it was. This week's secret, My Mom Has Munchausen, is an emotional episode, which I already told you. There's a lot of crying. And part one is really just kind of scratching the surface. In part two, we get to some deeper topics and things that aren't very easy to talk about. So here we go. Walk me through what your childhood looked like aside from this whole secret. It wasn't, it wasn't a bad childhood, I guess I should say. Like all things considered looking from the outside, it was kind of nice. Like we grew up in not like a wealthy part of our town, but it wasn't like like the hood either, if that makes sense. Um, but a lot of our friends, parents just couldn't take them on vacations. They couldn't take them different places. I had friends who had like literally never been to a restaurant. So one time we took her to Olive Garden and she was like, this is the fanciest place I've ever been. (laughs) Um, so I, so I feel like we, you know, from like the outside of everyone else kind of looking in, we had it pretty good. We went on vacations. Again, we ate out. We, uh, my parents were really involved in church and missionary work. So all things considered, like both my parents are together. Like it was good. And I have really happy memories. I think that's why I struggle so much with it going back and forth of like, well, maybe it wasn't that bad. But then there was just like this dark side that you were just kind of living alone, even though you're in a house full of people. Thinking back on the way that your parents were and stuff and just kind of going over, going back to how you just said, you know, they were very religious and involved in church. Do you feel like there was an element of your family that like either swept things under the rug or was really good at hiding stuff from the public perception? Wow. Gosh, that's so hard. Cause yes, like for certain groups of people, Mm -hmm. like for sure it was swept under the rug, but then for other instances, my dad's like really aggressive and, um, like, we'll just confront you. And our family was really open about, about talking about so many things. Like I uncomfortably know that like my parents, um, skinny dip all the time. I know how it was conceived. Like, so it's weird because they shared like a lot of, like a lot of fucking information, but on the flip side of that, then there was just my, my mom specifically who, was really good at putting on like, we're happy, we're helping, like being like humble. And like, this is all for someone else, even, you know, like it has nothing to do with me, but really the truth is everything was kind of self-motivated by her and her, her desire to be needed. If that makes sense. What is your first memory of your mom's Munchausen, but in this case, this is Munchausen by proxy, correct? Man, okay, so no, a yes and no. Um, yeah, Munchausen by proxy. My sister and I were definitely, I struggle using the word victim, but I don't really know another really word for it because kind of that's what it was. Um, I we think were in absolutely victim is the appropriate word. Okay, yeah, well, okay, yeah, so so we were her victim, but 
like victims, but we also like watched her make herself sick too. Um, and we watched her like, like, um, it, it just bled into everything. It was so tangled and mixed up that I think for a long time, even before my sister and I came into the picture, she was a compulsive liar. And what's weird is her family just says that like, oh, she always exaggerated, <laughs> but it's like, exaggerated is one thing like that's like saying oh my gosh there was like 50 cops outside when there was like four or five police cars you know what I mean? mm-hmm. um but she would straight say like oh um I had breast cancer and she had like a spot of melanoma removed on her breast <laughs> it was like well that's like a really big lie <laughs> so um okay um so my first memory would start with asthma um I was born premature, according to my parents. Um, my mom claims two months, but I only did a NICU stay for two weeks. And usually, if you're two months premature, I would think, especially in the 90s, it would be longer than that. But um, best to my knowledge is I was premature. And she says, according to my mom, I was born with a hole in my lung. And actually, because of this podcast, I had the nerve. And this is like the first time I really confronted my dad. I said... <laughs> since she's out of town right now, like, Hey, was I born with a hole in my lung? And my dad's like, fuck no. Why would you say that? And it was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> Cause that's always what she told me. But when I was a kid, um, I had some breathing issues according to my mom and my dad. And so early on I was diagnosed with asthma. One of my earliest memories was probably being like three or four And I used to have to go to the hospital like every other month and get like checked. And um, they would hook me up to like one of those like old school, big, chunky computers, because again, it's the 90s. And I would breathe into this machine and it had like birthday candles on the computer. And if you breathed hard enough, um, all the candles would blow out. And it was just a way for them to measure like your output and your input of oxygen. Mm -hmm. And my mom, before we would even go we would be in the car always alone with just her because my dad was working nights and days um she would say like no if you can't blow out the candles that's okay mommy will be so proud no matter how much you blow out but if you don't blow out all the candles we can go get a treat after (gasps) and so I remember like I mean I remember you know the doctors they're like just blow as hard as you can they would like sing happy birthday because you're like a little kid and Mm -hmm. you know you they're trying to make it fun and not like this scary thing and so I remember the first like time I blew out all of the candles and they were like that's excellent okay let's reset it and they actually had to leave the room to reset it and that was the first time I remember my mom going do you need this medicine so like don't breathe them all out like don't blow them all out And so she's like, we'll go get a treat. And I kind of half-assed it and blew again and only got like a few like candles out. And I don't exactly remember what they said, but I do remember that they had me do it again. And I remember my mom like being like saying, I'm so proud of you. And then like doing it again. And they're like, okay, well, let's go ahead. And my mom's like, my mom would say, well, she's having a hard time at night. And then she would kind of come in and talk and be like, this seems to be kind of, she'll have a burst of energy and good breath and then not. And I think maybe she does need to be on more medicine um, or continue with this steroid or whatever. And so I would get medicine um, and then a treat afterwards. And then, you know, maybe 
a month later when I'd go back in to kind of check on everything, um, one, this is probably maybe like a year later, one instance, I, I blew all of the candles out, like every single time, regardless of what my mom had said. And she was never like, don't do that. Like she was never aggressive or angry, but I remember getting in the car and asking like, are we going to get a treat? And she was like, no, you blew out all the candles. And then a week later, I was actually back in the office because she told them I was having, I had an asthma attack. And you don't remember having, okay. No. Yeah. So I think like coaching, if that makes sense, Sarah, I don't even know what you would call it. It started on early because the only like real time I remember her being affectionate is when we were sick. Like she never was touchy, feely, huggy. Like the way I am with my children, she's very, very different. And I think maybe that's kind of what like flagged it for me and made me realize like how bad it was. It was becoming a mom and realizing how natural it comes. And like, she just didn't have that. So she was only what felt like kind and generous when like she could get something. And she really, like, this is going to sound so sick, but she like really enjoyed telling people that I had asthma. Um, She would put me in face masks because she'd be like, the pollution content's too high. We have to move. They got a new house that was like away from the freeway because she said my asthma was too bad. Like kind of crazy stuff. And it's she like, there's not another word for it, but like, like genuinely like, happy to share with people that like I was struggling breathing or that I was having an asthma attack or sometimes I would have like she would say oh there's dark circles under your eye you're having a hard time breathing right right and it's weird because like I wasn't but I kind of was just went along with it and would say yeah I am having a hard time breathing and then would kind of kind of like make myself have a hard time breathing and here's the thing that I think a lot of people are going to be like, okay, it's just asthma, but asthma for people who have like actual chronic asthma, it's really hard and like really dangerous. And their lungs fill with mucus or like the bronchial tubes or whatever fill with mucus. And, and they really do need that medication. But for a vast majority of people who like have like, mm, like not severe asthma, like moderate, like you can kind of just control it with um, like calming your thoughts and taking deep breaths and really working through it. Mm-hmm. And so some of it is kind of psychological and she would kind of like ramp you up to get to the point where you couldn't. Does that make sense? Oh, I don't know. No, it absolutely makes sense. I think that like I am someone who I am someone who gets really, really, really nervous about getting sick. And I have been I can remember specifically being on family vacation and two people from our family got sick, like throwing up and stuff. And what we figured out was, I mean, it was two little kids and like, they had ended up actually like touching poop. And then like, (sighs) that was how they got sick. So it was not anything contagious. It was not anything in the air. And I was nowhere near the situation. The next day I am throwing up. And, um, so I, like completely sick, having to lay in bed. And like, I felt bad. It was my wife's birthday. And I was like, I don't want to ruin her birthday, but like, I could not like, I, I truly believe that we can, I'm not saying that we can make ourselves not sick, but I think that we can make ourselves sick. Yeah. And there is like kind of, um, this weird side to it too, of like, 
you almost were excited when she decided you were sick, if that makes sense. Or at least I was, I can't speak specifically for my um, sibling, but I can say that like when she, when I would get sick, it was, it was fun. I know it sounds crazy, but she would keep you home from school. You were rewarded with like lots of TV. Let's go get lunch. Like it was like a, like a, an exciting thing. And then when like my dad would come home, she'd be like, okay, your dad's going to be mad if, if he knows that you were fine and you decided to stay home from school. So you need to act sick. And like, it's really weird because then you would be like, oh, I'm having a hard time breathing. It's been a hard day. And, and he would just be like, oh my gosh. Okay. Like, wow. It was just weird because you looked forward to almost when she would deem that you were too ill because you got attention, you got things, you got her love and her affection. But then as we got older, like we knew it was wrong and she would be like, your dad's going to be mad. And so you kind of played along like, okay, yeah, we'll be sick. It's very weird. And I, even as an adult now, um, like I really have to be conscious about what I say because I feel like I have like the compulsion just to lie all the time too, because it, it felt, it feels so natural, but I, I really struggle with like, okay, don't be dramatic. Don't, you know, like just tell the truth, even if it's boring and not exciting because she made lying appetizing, like there was reward in it. Going back do you remember when she would tell people like, oh, you know, she had an asthma attack today and, you know, you didn't. Do you remember what you would think during that time? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember when she would when she would tell people like she's really severe asthma. She probably she how she would say it would be like she has very severe asthma. She has anywhere between six to seven attacks a month where she's on this inhaler and this inhaler. I wasn't on any of that, but it also felt like I couldn't speak up. I couldn't say anything because she would say it in front of you and people, the attention you got from people were like, you poor thing. Like, oh my gosh, like, uh, it's just crazy. I'm so sorry. We can't, that's why we can't do this. That's why we can't do that. That's why I was late, whatever. And so it seemed like at the time, like, okay, so she's just lying and it's not like a big lie because because we're not getting anything from it. I didn't realize that it was like satisfying her. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like, so it just seemed like, well, I guess if you lie about it, like, what does it hurt them? No one's winning and it doesn't matter. Like, I remember kind of justifying it for her in my head. Like, well, I'm not going to say anything. And to be very honest, I was really nervous to say stuff or like confront her because she was just the unstable parent. Like you didn't know if she was going to be like mad, um, lie to my dad about something. You didn't know if she was going to cry. Like you just didn't know how she was going to treat you. She was very into playing favorites. So like if you've argued or talked back or questioned or anything, like you were very much on the outs. And because she was not exactly like doting and like overly attentive unless groups of people are around to witness it you kind of were like I'll just do whatever I can to stay in her grace does that make sense she was abusive but she just wasn't like hey do you guys want to sit and watch a movie and or let's read a book or you know like she just wasn't like um like let me take you to the park like unless you were in her grace and in fact like I have memories of like as I got older fighting and confronting her she would just straight ignore me. Like she would take my sister to a movie and not even invite me. So 
I don't want to overstep my boundaries here, but I kind of want to point this out to you. And, you know, you're saying this, this isn't abuse, but this is totally psychological abuse. Like, yeah, she's not hitting you and maybe she's not talking down to you and putting you down. But this, this game that she's playing, especially with such like impressionable minds of children, like that is psychological abuse for sure. I want you to really pay attention to how she answers this question. Yeah. And I mean, things, things got like so much worse. <laughs> like That's just kind of the early years, but in between bad times, she would get involved in something that would provide her with positive attention. So it wasn't, Oh, poor, poor this family, poor that family. She would get something going where, she was like, really, like I told you, she was involved in like missionary work with our church. And so we would go down as a family. And so though, even though she would make us still like maybe still on asthma medication and everything else, she was getting recon- recognition for like, oh, look at this family. They, they give so much. And so during those times when people would kind of look to her as like a leader or like a humble servant or, you know, just like this really big cheerleader for the Lord, there were like these happy times, there were like happy memories. And she would be so incredibly generous and kind to my sister. We just didn't realize at the time that it was coming at a cost. We didn't realize that favors would be asked or like, I, we just didn't. Yeah. So, so I struggle with it because it's like, yeah, it is abuse. But on the flip side of that, then there were like, I like years where it's like totally fine. And then years where it's like really bad. So she did make you take the medication. She wouldn't just get the medication and like throw it in the cabinet. Like she would make no. you take it. Yeah. And she very much had like everyone in my family convinced I had it actually so much so that even when I got married, um, I would carry around my, like my nebulizer and take my asthma medication and my steroids. It wasn't until I got pregnant with my first child and my husband and I, that my, um, midwife actually was like, wow, okay, you've chronic asthma I've actually never seen an adult like like you're gonna have to be you you can't have this natural birth that you want like you're gonna have to be on oxygen like you're a high risk pregnancy it was all this stuff that I didn't realize came with like years and being on this medication she's like it gets hard for women to breathe just regular healthy women it's gonna be really difficult for you and I told her well it's weird because at the time we didn't have insurance and like some of my asthma medicine had lapsed and the longer I was off my asthma medicine, the better I could breathe. And so I was like, I've like, I've been off my asthma medicine for like two months now. And actually I've, I'm breathing better than I ever have. And so she, my midwife was actually the one who suggested, well, let's, let's monitor it so closely. I don't want to tell you to go completely off of it, but if you think you can take less and less of it and really control it, like, let's try that. And over the course of my pregnancy, really weaned me off of all of this like controller medication and rescue inhalers. And that was five years ago. And I've never once looked back. Like I feel the best I've ever, I was never able to hardly like run or do sports or anything like that. And I have so much energy. I, they used to tell me that if I took one smoke of a cigarette, I would die. Like they were so serious about it. My parents, um, I can be in a room full of smokers and not have an issue I think I truly like she made me take that medication and I think I didn't actually need it. 
And I was having a reaction to the medication, like literally my whole life. Because if you don't have chronic asthma, like you've heard the commercials, like, like this can result in an asthma related death. And it's like, yeah, because if you don't have fucking asthma, you shouldn't be on rescue inhalers. You shouldn't be on steroids. You shouldn't be on all this stuff. Like all those things have side effects. And it truly was for me presented as if it were chronic asthma, but really it's just my body. Like, why the fuck are you putting all this in you? Like you don't need it. It makes me so sad just because, I mean, the whole, the whole situation makes me sad, obviously because of the stuff that you went through. But then now hearing that I'm thinking back of like all the things that you missed out in your childhood. Like I'm, I'm imagining like PE in elementary school and like, you know, yeah, she like made that into like a really cool thing. Like, oh, you get to, if you want to sit out of PE, you can. And in high school, that was awesome. Cause I was like, I'm not doing a swim day. I've got second period PE. <laughs> I'm, I'm not getting my hair wet. I have asthma. Like, and they would like, let you get away with that. And all of junior high, they literally let me pick up trash. Like while everyone else did exercising, because I would, I would run like one base while like we're doing a baseball unit and I would be huffing and puffing because it's like, you're on all of these things. And I, I gained, like, there was a time where she had me on like steroids and I gained a ton of weight, like so much weight. And like that played like a big part in like how I felt about myself. But again, my mom just kept telling my dad, like everyone gains weight in junior high, (laughs) but it's like, I was on a steroid. And then I mean, even before that, she had my appendix removed and they didn't even need to be removed. Like she coached me through getting my appendix taken out. I like, I don't, (laughs) I don't know why I feel like I've been really emotional lately and I don't know why I'm crying, but I, I'm just imagining you picking up trash instead of like, and I don't know, like maybe you were excited to miss PE and stuff, but like. I would be so sad to find out my kid was picking up trash instead of like playing with their peers at PE. Well, I would like, that's lonely. So. Like, and again, like, I don't know, like maybe you were like excited about it, but this, I don't know. I'm just like that may, I'm just no. like, envisioning that. And I'm so sad about it. No, it, it was lonely. And like, I definitely got, I had like one friend and I got like picked on because like, you don't do anything at recess. You're not like the other kids like running around and hanging out. And I definitely only had like, one friend all through junior high. But again, like I just, it, it became so part of my identity that even in junior high and in high school, when I was like, I don't have asthma. Like I used to say that to my dad, like dad, I don't have asthma. And he'd say, we've gone through this. You have asthma. You have to take care of your, your inhaler everywhere you go. Like you have asthma. And I would say, I don't have asthma. I just never had the guts to like explain like why I don't actually have asthma, but it became so part of like my identity. Every, all of my family knew I had asthma. All of my friends knew I had asthma. All of their parents knew I had asthma that it became part of like, okay, that like you just, that's just her. And so it kind of, in a way, even when I would say like, I don't have asthma dad in high school. And, and he would be like, you have to carry this inhaler. Like, please carry it. Like, I'm so afraid, like you have to have this it just, it just becomes part of your identity. And again, it's just like, it was so, so stupid that I justify it, but it feels like it was just asthma. Like it was just medication I didn't need to be on, but like, it gets so much, like it got so worse, like so much worse. And I didn't even know that like for a while when, 
I wouldn't take the medicine, like when my parents would tell me I would get better. And so, but I would tell my parents I had taken it and there was this dope, there's, I forget the name of the medication, but it was like this purple circular disc and you literally had to flip it and inhale this like powder and it trapped how many you had. And I would literally dump out and like, just flip it through to like, pretend like, okay, I've, I've done all of the dosages and I would feel fine and feel really good. And I did that like later. And my dad, because he wasn't like clued in, he just thought like, okay, well it's, it's controlled. And so anytime my mom would be like, I think she's having a hard time breathing. He would say like, she's old enough to decide herself. Like, I think she's fine. And so she kind of laid off me. And what I didn't know at the time was that while she laid off of me, she really ramped up and gosh, I don't know another word for like, kind of like attacked my sister and that was made my sister sick. I was, so I know that your sister, you know, she has her own whole story, but I am curious to know, you know, you had asthma. What was her ailment? Um, so her ailment was hypoglycemia gosh, this is, this sounds terrible. Like, um, my mom lied to a whole bunch of people and told them that my sister had herpes. She used to, she told my sister forever, like up until my sister was in a, like three or four years ago, like I'm talking recent, my sister thought she had hypoglycemia because my mom always ramped up my sister's blood sugar to the point when her body would naturally go into like a normal, healthy range. It would present as symptoms of uh, low blood pressure, a low blood sugar, even though it's in a healthy, normal range, she was so used to being amped up and high that she would get like red burning ears, sweating, um, like rapid, like heart, like just feeling like I'm going to faint, like all this stuff. And so she'd be like, I have to quickly have something. I don't know why we just didn't question my mom. We just took her at face value. And so my sister, again, like up until a few years ago, when she's kind of started taking control of her own health, she realized I don't even have hypoglycemia. I should not be eating candy bars throughout the day. Like just because you know what I mean? Like she just didn't know. And so now she's in a healthy, like normal range for blood sugar. And that's just by eating like a normal person. But my mom would like make her carry around a blood sugar, like monitoring machine and prick her finger, like multiple times a day and made her even in high school eat in the nurse's office. This So she didn't eat with any friends. Oh my God. I'm just like, I think about like, I, I do not have kids obviously. Like I'm going off of my own perception, but I think it's safe to say that like when you have kids, like all you want is to make life as easy as possible for them. And like, that just wasn't her. Like she, she just, it wasn't that she was like, she never presented it. Like I'm trying to make your life hard. Like she always presented it. I'm just, I love you. Like, I'm just doing this because I love you. And the sad and sick part of it is I think that's true. I don't think she's capable of love the way I'm capable of love with my children, but I think truly that's what she knew to do. It made her feel um, like, like wanted, I think it fulfilled her love tank. And so she felt like, okay, they're being fulfilled, but like, she really didn't have our best interests at heart. She, my sister got, we went on vacation and my sister got a bacteria actually from the sand. She decided to bury herself like a mermaid, you know? Yeah. And she got a bacteria, um, in her like lady parts. And, um, she's, I think man, like 12 or 13 at the time. 
And my mom takes her to the doctor and the doctor says she's like lesions inside of her vagina. They're not, doesn't look like sexually active, but like she has like irritation down there. And he said, you know, to be honest, it's, it looks like it could be like, we should just test for like herpes or like a few other different viruses in addition to like, just making sure that we get a good wash and clean and like, we'll see what happens. So fast forward, my mom comes home with my sister. She's like 12 or 13. My sister's sobbing because she's like, I've never had sex. Like I've never had sex. And my mom tells my dad that my sister has herpes and that she's going to get her on like this, like heavy duty, sexually like transmitted disease medication. And she calls our church family and tells me that like every time my sister goes to the bathroom, like my sister had to like bleach the seat. And then like she would make me Clorox the seat before I sat down too. This went on for a full week before the test results came back because my mom's like, I want her on the medication now. And my dad was the one who really pushed back and was like, you don't just put your 12 year old who's saying she's never had sex on herping medication. Like you get a second opinion, you wait for the test results. Like, are you kidding? Um, and it comes back that literally it was just bacteria. Like she just, it, I mean, that's a sensitive area and it like sandpapers, like it was like having sandpaper up there. But meantime, my mom has literally told almost our entire church family and our actual family that her 12 year old daughter has herpes. I'm just imagining at 12, 13 years old, how fragile my self-esteem and self-worth were at that time. And to go through and know that there's family and friends and all these people who now think I have herpes because my mom told them that. Yeah. And I think she, like, it's so funny because my sister and I are both the same way. Like we've just been like, she's just a, my mom's just a pathological liar. Like, I think there's no way around it because she lies about her own health. She lies about like literally everything. If she told me the sky were blue, I would check outside to make sure it wasn't purple. Like she lies about absolutely everything. So I think like when I like kind of preparing for this podcast and trying to get like some of my thoughts together, like I asked her, like, I mean, wasn't that hard for you? She's like, yeah, I mean, I was embarrassed, but like, I knew it wasn't true, but I mean, it's fine. It is what it is. Like she kind of has the same attitude as me of like, well, maybe it's not that bad. Like she wasn't hitting us. Like she wasn't selling us for drugs or money. Like at least both my parents were together. At least my dad intervened when he could. And so like we, we often justify it. And like, even again, like even getting ready for this, like my sister was like, can you please like stress, like when you're going to do this podcast, like that, like she wasn't awful. It's weird because like, we still are oddly like, I can't stand her. Like talking to her is like really hot. Like I can hardly stand talking to my mom. It's really hard. Um, I can hardly stand having her visit. Like, I don't want to spend any time with her, but then like flip side of that, like you still feel like protective of her. Like, well, I mean, sometimes it was good. So she wasn't awful. It's just really, it's like really weird. I want to ask you a question and I don't know. I'm trying to tread lightly here because I think the perspective you have is good because you're protecting yourself, I think, from some of the reality of this. And you're saying, it, you know, it wasn't that bad. And I think I'm, I'm happy to know that you can view it that way. But at the same time, and I don't, I don't want to push where I shouldn't push on this, but if she was doing this to your children 
Do you feel like you would still think she's she's not that bad of a grandma? Sorry. And sorry. I'm not I'm not I don't want to I don't want to push no. you but I just I want you to recognize that like what you went through is is not okay. No, like I like I I mean there's like sorry. Um no, it's um sorry. It's just okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're fine. Um it's just that it's like if I if I admit like like how like how lonely it was like there were so many times where like my sister and I stopped having friends over like we didn't have people spend the night like we didn't do like sleepovers or anything like that because we were so embarrassed of like what she would say what she would lie about and we never had the courage just to confront her and so, like, if I think about, like, how kind of, like, sucky and lonely it was, um, I kind of am, like, yeah, that really sucked. But on the flip side of that, it made my sister and I, like, insanely close. And it made it to, the, like, we were each other's only friend. And, like, kind of are each other's only friend. Um, so if she, like, if my mom tried doing this stuff with my kids, like, I'd probably be in jail because, like, I just can't even stand it. Like, she this past summer she came to visit and um she just is so crazy like this is where she like she lied about our health and like made us sick and made us take things that like we didn't need to take and and do these things but like in the meantime of her doing all of that like in the meantime of her having our like she had her tonsils removed when they didn't need to be removed she had my appendix removed when it literally didn't need to be removed and she like actually told me like what to say to get it removed like while my dad was out of town like amongst even all of that crazy shit that was happening she was making herself sick too she would do all of these things that were positive like PTA president and doing missionary work but in the meantime she would be like oh I'm so sick and they don't know what's wrong with me and like back and forth and she's still doing that to this day so it's like all this kind of tangled mess because there was so much good intertwined with all of this bad and even this past summer when she came to visit me and my kids alone without my dad, I'm sitting there trying to like talk to my children at a breakfast table. And she all of a sudden is like, I'm going to faint. And it was just such a trigger for me because I knew like it, I even knew the tone tone of her voice that she was lying. She went into my guest bedroom, left the bedroom door wide open, sprawled out as if she had legitimately died. My four-year-old asked, is grandma alive? Well, she didn't say live. She said, is grandma okay? Is grandma dying? Because that same summer, like her great grandmother had passed away. So everything as of lately has been all about death. But anyway, my mom was like, my blood sugar is at 26. And your blood sugar doesn't get to 26 and you're talking. Like if your blood sugar is at 26, like you're almost in a coma. Or no, sorry, not 26, 16. Sorry. She said like my blood sugar is at 16, like I'm so like sick and everything else. She's like, send the grandchildren in like, um, and I was like, you're not like, I legitimately just told her like either get your blood sugar up or like, let me know if I need to call someone or you can die. And I just shut the door. And it's like this weird thing because it's like, I kind of like, <laughs> I, I, I'm I just, so happy I you have, did that. I just don't have time for like your shit anymore. And so 
So I come back in like five minutes later after calling my dad and saying like, dad, like she's saying her blood sugar is at 16. And he's like, what the fuck? If she's at 16, she shouldn't be talking. She should be dead. And I said, that's what she said. And he was like, well, did you see the monitor? As if like, that was my job was like to verify what her actual blood sugar was. And I said, no. So I go back in and while he's on the phone, he makes me like test her blood sugar. And it's like at a hundred and 50 or something crazy like that because she was eating a Snickers bar. I'm like, how did it go from 16 to 150 in five minutes? Like that's Well, I also even... think a jump that big going back up would also have some sort of side effects. Right. And mind you, like, so that morning, like when I said, like, she, she did it with like the door open, she wanted to go, like, she's come, she had come to visit me and the kids. And she was like, well, maybe we can go out today. And I said, well, it kind of just depends. At the time I had a six month old baby, um, a two year old and a four year old. I said, it just kind of depends on how the day goes, like, and how naps go. And then all of a sudden it's kind of like, because I put my foot down and put like my mom pants on, like, well, I have to do what's best for my kids. All of a sudden she was like, I'm dying. Send the, like, send the grandchildren in. I'm not kidding. Like she left the door wide open. She was like moaning and making noises, like really alarming my kids. She was having Um, a fit. Yeah. She was definitely having a fit and alarming my kids. And so that's kind of why I was like, well, I hope you die and like shut the door. I mean, I didn't say hope you die, but I said like, either fix your blood sugar or I'll call the paramedics and you can die. But like, I have things to do because I knew she was lying about it, but it's just weird because even with that, I called my dad and said like, well, this is what she's saying, but I never, it's unspoken. Like we don't talk like, oh, she's lying and she's making this up and she doesn't have a blood sugar issue. Like my dad will still be like, well, make her check her blood sugar, make sure she's eating lots of protein. Like he kind of feeds into it. And you can't be a pathological liar or sociopath or have Munchausen's without being enabled. And we all kind of enable her. Like I said in the very beginning, we are just scratching the surface here. There's still a lot more to come in part two. Um, and it's, I kind of got hyper focused on her feelings and what she was going through that I realized at the end of it, we didn't even get to a lot of the stuff that had happened. Um, So I asked her afterwards if she could send me a list of everything that happened to her. And at the end of part two, I'm going to read that list for you guys just so you get a fuller picture of everything that happened. Um, So I hope you come back next week to finish it. If you suspect someone is abusing their child whether it's because of Munchausen syndrome by proxy or something else, you can anonymously report them to Child Protective Services. In Arizona, that number is 1-888-SOS-CHILD. That's 1-888-767-2445. Thank you guys for listening. I will see all of you for part two next week. Everybody has a secret.